Hello, and welcome to the On-Call Consults in Less Than 10 Minutes series on ENT in a Nutshell, a complement to Headmere's Online Survival Guide. I'm your host, Will Dattar, and today we are joined by Dr. Matt Carlson, a board-certified neurotologist. In this episode, we will cover otitis externa. Let's jump right in. So conditions associated with inflammation and usually infection involving the external auditory canal are referred to as otitis externa. This episode will primarily focus on acute otitis externa and malignant otitis externa, but we'll also discuss chronic otitis externa, myringitis, and other conditions associated or presenting with otorrhea. Malignant otitis externa refers to a more aggressive infection associated with skull-based osteomyelitis. Acute otitis externa, often referred to as swimmer's ear, is most commonly bacterial, with pseudomonas and staph species predominating. Dr. Carlson, can you tell us about the differential diagnosis, including the can't-miss diagnoses? Yeah, so um, the most common uh, conditions on the differential diagnosis of otitis externa include otitis media with perforation, malignant otitis externa, most commonly presenting, almost exclusively presenting in immunocompromised post-external auditory canal or temporal bone malignancy, ear canal foreign body, CSF leak, Ramsey-Hunt syndrome, perichondritis, dermatologic conditions affecting the ear canal, osteoradionecrosis of the temporal bone, and you can also have a canal wall down cavity with acute infection. And what are some predisposing or risk factors for otitis externa? A narrow ear canal, dermatologic conditions including eczema and psoriasis, history of water exposure, most commonly dirty or unchlorinated water. Uh, it's more common during the summer months or in uh, humid climates. There's an increased risk in patients with diabetes or immunocompromised status, hearing aid users, earplug users, patients with poor hygiene, Q-tip use, cerumen impaction, and radiation exposure. And how does otitis externa typically present? So most commonly patients present with otorrhea. They may experience otalgia, and very severe otalgia is more common in acute otitis externa and also malignant otitis externa. That's in contrast to chronic otitis externa, which typically has less pain and more itching or pruritus. Hearing loss is most commonly conductive. And again, as mentioned, pruritus is more common with chronic otitis externa. Patients will often report ear fullness. Tinnitus is very frequently occurring in the setting of a conductive hearing loss. And then concomitant facial nerve paralysis or other cranial neuropathy is suggestive of a much more severe infection or another underlying conditions such as a neoplasm and should be looked at more carefully. And what history should we take for these patients? Well, why not find out if it's unilateral or bilateral? The exact timing and rate of progression acute generally indicates a condition developing in less than 48 hours versus chronic that's been present for over six weeks and typically presents with more low-grade symptoms. You'll ask about associated symptoms as described above, tinnitus, drainage, pain, symptoms of facial nerve paralysis, hearing loss, etc. You'll evaluate for risk factors, in particular water exposure, diabetes, immunocompromised status. And for patients with diabetes, it's good to ask about their typical glucose levels and as well as hemoglobin A1C values, if known. You should ask about a history of similar events in the past, history of ear surgery, including known perforation or an ear tube or another notable ear history, history of non-melanoma skin cancers. And then you'll ask for more concerning symptoms, including dizziness, cranial neuropathy, fever, photophobia, altered mental status, diplopia, aphasia, dysarthria, headache, lethargy, other signs of a more aggressive neurological process. And what are the key supplies when seeing these consults? Uh, You'll want to bring with you an otoscope, 
512 hertz tuning fork to assess hearing loss, cerumen uh, curette, ear wicks with small alligator forceps for placement of an ear wick. Uh, if you have access to it, an operating microscope is very helpful to clean out the ear canal, but you may use surgical loops as an alternative. You'll of course want to bring with you an assortment of ear speculums, suctions, and a suction source. You'll want to bring with you a, a culture swab, and that's you will typically obtain cultures in a patient who's immunocompromised or refractory to regular treatment, but in a very straightforward acute otitis externa after swimming an otherwise healthy patient, we don't typically perform culture. Can you tell us about the physical examination of these patients? The physical examination is directed towards examining and evaluating the ear canal, the tympanic membrane, and the middle ear. You want to evaluate for concomitant chondritis and product swelling. A key feature of acute otitis externa is pain with posterior superior manipulation or pull of the auricle and tragal manipulation. There's always or almost always a very narrowed and edematous ear canal. In contrast, a key feature of malignant otitis externa is exposed bone or granulation tissue and severe pain that's out of proportion to exam with or without concomitant cranial neuropathy. And again, a key feature of that condition is immunocompromised status. You'll want to debride the ear canal if possible. Typically, cleaning out the ear canal is very painful for patients with acute otitis externa. You want to inspect the tympanic membrane and middle ear for myringitis, otitis media, effusion, perforation, cholesteatoma, ear canal, or middle ear mass. You also look for black or white dry hyphae, which may be suggestive of fungal otitis externa. Of course, you'll perform a full cranial nerve examination with particular attention to the facial nerve. Uh, 512 hertz tuning fork is generally most most commonly suggestive of a conductive hearing loss where the uh, Weber will lateralize to the affected ear and bone will be greater than air conduction, particularly with complete occlusion of the ear canal. So I know the diagnostic workup is directed by a prioritized differential diagnosis. Can we talk about that a bit? So uncomplicated acute otitis externa is mainly a clinical diagnosis and extensive work is generally only reserved for evidence of a more aggressive process or in a high-risk patient. Temporal bone CT scan may be indicated for evaluation of trauma, complicated otitis media, or complicated otitis externa, whether you have a suspicion for malignant otitis externa, intracranial complications, etc. In most cases, an audiogram is not obtained unless there's evidence of persistent hearing loss after resolution of the infection. In most cases, MRI is not obtained in the very acute setting unless there's concern for cranial complications or malignant otitis externa. Although controversial, MRI with gadolinium has largely supplanted nuclear medicine scans for malignotitis externa, including gallium and technician. Classically, a technetium scan is used to make the initial diagnosis, and gallium is used to follow the process. You'll want to consider laboratory testing for immunocompromised or diabetic patients, including glucose, CBC, hemoglobin, A1C. Additional testing may be based on directing history. As alluded to earlier, you'll consider culture for recurrent or chronic otitis externa or higher risk patients and consider biopsy if there's a concern for an underlying malignancy. Can you tell us about the acute treatment, both for acute otitis externa as well as briefly for malignant otitis externa? Yeah, so if your ear canal is very edematous and swollen shut such that topical drops won't reach the medial ear canal, you'll generally place a wick and that aids in delivery. You can perform drops for acidification, such as acetic acid, which generally has an antibacterial and antifungal property. Antibiotics are generally first line simply because Pseudomonas and Staph are the most common bacteria for acute otitis externa, where Cipridex or Ofloxin drops are generally preferred. You want to maintain dry ear precautions. Oral antibiotics are typically reserved for otitis externa in higher risk patients, including diabetics with poor glycemic control or cases demonstrating more extensive infection or when refractory to topical treatment. 
In general, you want to avoid ototoxic drops uh, when there's a tympanic membrane perforation or PE2 present, including acetic acid aminoglycosides. For malignant otitis externa, long-term oral and IV antibiotics are generally indicated with or without hyperbaric oxygen, and then reversal or treatment of the underlying condition resulting in immunosuppression is also valuable when possible. And what is the disposition and follow-up that's recommended for these patients? So patients with acute otitis externa without more concerning symptoms or aggressive disease course can be managed on an outpatient basis. We typically see patients back about a week after WIC placement just to make sure they're continuing to head in the right direction. Admission is generally reserved for people with more concerning symptoms suggested of complicated course of otitis externa or media, aggressive process, immunocompromised status, or failure to improve as an outpatient. And what counseling do you provide to these patients? For patients that are managed on an outpatient basis, you'll want to ask them to avoid water exposure or hearing aids or earplugs. They should seek medical attention if their symptoms don't improve within the first week. And then, as discussed earlier, tight glucose control is critical for patients with diabetes. That concludes our Otitis Externa episode for on-call consults in less than 10 minutes. Thank you for joining us.